today we're in part four in a total series of five parts in daring faith the keys to miracles in our lives the keys to miracles in our lives are you ready are you ready all right three words integrity humility and generosity integrity humility and generosity three very important words three words three things that are the biggest antidotes for the three areas of our life that are the biggest traps you didn't hear me three things three areas three issues three characteristics they are the biggest antidotes to the biggest traps the three biggest traps today i want to talk about the last one integrity humility and generosity if you want the favor of god on your life joseph had the favor of god on his life daniel had the favor of god on his life uh, david had the favor of god on his life on jesus himself the son of god in the middle of the baptism god said through the heavens and through the clouds that part this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If you want the favor of God in your work, in your character, in your family, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your significant other relationship, if you want God's favor in your workplace, in your profession, this is it. You've got to understand these three things that God wants you to have. It is also the antidote to the traps that we actually fall and fail in, that we fall and fail in. If you want the power of God in your life, if you want the anointing of God through your life, where everybody just says, you know, this guy seems to have some sort of a backup. He seems to have someone working for him. It's not just everything falls in place, but even if it doesn't fall in place, something always better happens. Something always better shows up. This guy just has somebody working behind the scenes for him, that's anointing, that's strength, that's honor that God places on the shoulders of the one he, co he commissions as his servant. You must build your life on these three things. And these three things, integrity, humility, and generosity, are the antidotes to the three great temptations in your life. And I don't have time to go through all of them today. And different series, you will cover all those three. Today, we're talking about generosity. Today we talk about generosity and I'm going to talk about something that is going to make you uncomfortable apart from the heat. I'm going to talk about cash. I'm going to talk about money. Okay, I'm not going to ask you for money. I don't need your money. But I am going to talk about money and it's going to get uncomfortable. So squirm as much as you want, but listen. All right, so here we are. Generosity. Generosity. When I say generosity, I'm not just talking about money only. I'm talking about being generous with your time, generous with your energy, generous compliments, praise, generous with your talent, give away your talent, don't turn everything into a money-making thing. Every area of your life, Becoming an unselfish person, becoming a giving away type person. I'm talking about generosity with absolutely everything. Can you be that? Is that possible? Will that make you a walkover? Will that make you a, 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 you know, a doormat? Can you be generous? Is it possible? Is it real? There are more promises about anything in the Bible for the generous person than for any other area in your life. I want you to know that. There are more promises and rewards for the generous person. And you've got to ask if there's so many rewards for the generous person, then what is generosity? 
What does God think generosity is? Why is it so important to God to be generous? And I'm still going to talk a lot about cash because the reason for that is even if we say, oh, every area of your life we need to be generous, you usually evaluate every area of your life based on cash. Time? Time is money. People? You're wasting my time. And time is... Every investment, every buy, every produce, every, uh, every expense, everything we do in life, even being generous in every other area, we evaluate by our little God measurement called money, called cash. And you'll find by the end of the sermon that we are actually strapped for cash and strapped by cash. And I want you to learn and rise above money. I'm going to talk about that today. And I'm not going to be exhaustive because I just want to touch, whet your appetite. And I'm, going, I'm working on a four-part series to talk about cash, money, investment, stocks, bonds, savings, and what should a Christian do? How should a Christian, the theology of wealth. I'm going to be doing an entire series on that future, in the future. So that's why I'm not worried about covering absolutely everything today. I'm going to try and be as uh, concise as possible. Why generosity? Why is God so concerned about generosity? We want to ask that question. The answer is because generosity is love in action. The answer is generosity is love in action. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Somewhere or the other, your significant other, your friend, your parents, your loved ones, your spouse is going to say, yeah, you say you love me, but... You cannot love without being generous. You know in the Bible the word believe, and we think Bible faith, oh. The word believe uh, is used 272 times. The word pray is used 371 times. The word love is used 714 times. And the word give is used 2152 times. You might want to stop and highlight. You might want to think, oh, there's it. There's a secret. Why? Because God is a giver. God is a giver. Everything you have is a gift. Everything you have in your life is a gift from God. If it wasn't for God being generous, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't look as good as you do. You wouldn't be as comfortable as you are. You wouldn't have the joy that you have in your life. You wouldn't have the problems that you have in your life if God wasn't willing to take you through a trial time and then reward you for your faith. He gives air. He gives sunshine. He gives a mind to think. Everything in life is a sure gift from God. Even your ability to walk into an interview and say, I think I'm good enough for this job. In fact, in five years, I want to take your place. That's what they say. In five years, where do you want to be? All that comes from God. All that comes from God. An atheist is an atheist not because he doesn't believe in the existence of God. It's because if he did, he'd have to give the credit away. If God was not generous, you would have nothing. Your heart would stop beating. But God is a generous God. He gives you and he gives everything you have. And God wants us to learn to be like him. God wants us to learn to be like him. God wants us to learn to be like him. Four simple things. In fact, there are ten pointers on this. There are ten 
principles to generosity, and I've given you the six as bonus at the end because you just look so smart that I think you can handle it on your own. So you can take it and go home and think about it and read through it and go through the verses and spend some time. Maybe if there are six every day of this week, spend time in one of them. Spend time in one of them. Just take one, meditate on it, and focus on it. I just want to take four for you this morning and try and wrap up as soon as possible so that you can go home with something more succinct, something more uh, specific. Uh, four points. Four, 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 four reasons why generosity should be the main thing I'm looking forward to looking to be in my life. Number one, generosity honors God. Generosity honors God. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Whenever you worship, you're saying, God, you exist. God, you're the best. God, you're worthy. God, you're worth of, worthy of my, uh, of my giving, worthy of my worship. It's a recognition that everything you have is a gift from God. That's what worship is. And when you give, you're giving worship. Giving is the best form of worship. Giving looks good when we worship. Focus on scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on your screens and in your notes. You will be glorifying God. There you go. You will be glorifying God through your generous gifts. Your generosity will prove, circle proof. Your generosity will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. You are obedient to the good news of Christ. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 12 verse 31. He says, whoever is generous to the needy, whoever is generous to the needy, Immediately when we think needy, we think poor people, don't we? Street people. We think beggars on the side of the street. Could a person who's making more money than you be needy today? And would you give him? Even though he makes more money than you. That's your religion right there. Whoever is generous to the needy honors God. Because it's not about the giving, it's about the giver. It's not about how much you give, it's about being like God. It's about reflecting the fact that God who is a giver is my God. And if God who is a giver is my God, giving is what I do. Giving is who I am. When you're generous, you honor God. Listen to me carefully. Let your hearts listen to me carefully. You're telling God, I have you Lord. Are you listening to me? When you're generous, when your hand lets go, when you give well, when you give to the surprise of the receiver, when you give joyfully, when you give lovingly, when you give in time, when you're generous, you're telling God, I have you God. I don't need this. I have you. I can afford to be generous, Lord, because I have you. I don't need to hang on to this money because I have you. I can have peace about my needs, even though I give away. What will happen to me tomorrow? What about next day's needs? What if I feel stupid because I gave it away and now I don't have for myself? All of that scenario is a godless scenario. But I have you, God. I have you. You are enough for me. Lord, you are enough for me. As long as I have you, I have more than enough. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. 
You are more than enough for me. Jehovah Rapha, you're my healer. By your stripes, I've been set free. Jehovah Shama, you are with me. You supply all my need. Lord, you're more than enough. Lord, you are more than enough. Lord, you're more than enough for me. When you get to a place where having God with you, having God as enough for you is more than enough, he will be more than enough for everything else. And nothing else will ever challenge you, scare you. We're not there yet, are we? It's a journey. We're all getting there. If you feel I'm talking to you, you're right. If you, if you feel I'm talking only to you, you're wrong. Because we all are there. I love the first one. Generosity honors God. Number two, generosity draws me closer to God. How does generosity draw me closer to God? It's because when I invest in something, when I invest in something, I'm showing my interest in it. When I'm buying stocks and bonds, when I'm, look, I'm looking at the different companies I want to invest in my stocks in, uh, I take a d deeper interest in certain, one, certain stocks, obviously ones that uh, have better dividends, getting a better return. And once I invest in it, I become more interested in those companies than any, any other company. So when I invest and I give, when I am generous, my interest becomes more in God because I am drawn closer to him. Because I, something I'm attracted to, something that is close to my heart, something that is near to me has been invested in God. When I invest in God, in his work, it only honors God. It not only honors God, it draws me closer to him. I become closer to him because now I'm showing him that he is more to me. He means more to me, which is why I invested it in the first place. I become a stakeholder in the kingdom of God. I become a stakeholder in the kingdom of God. And I open my app, my Kingdom of God app every morning to check how my stocks are doing. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 23 says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. The focus of tithing, and you may have heard that for the first time today, or you may have heard that many, many times. You may have a different uh, 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 an understanding or interpretation about it. You may have a different conviction about it than I do and this church does. That's okay, but this is what we understand God saying. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. We give the first part of our income to God. We give the first 10% as just a basic, basic uh, investment in the kingdom of God. A basic thing that God set as an example long, long time ago. That's the starting point. I don't give 10%. I give more than that. But 10% is the bare minimum. The first day of the week, the first day of the month, the first Sunday of the month is our tithing Sunday. And it's not about how much, but it's about the firstness. Do you get that? Do you get that? The moment it comes in, I love in fact, some of you people, some of you guys, on the 31st, because your salary came in, I see it because I'm the, I'm, 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 I'm the, I, I own the trust, uh, I have, my phone number is stuck with the bank account, so I get the notification, for better or worse. And by 31st night, by first morning, I see the tithe come in, down to the last decibel. 
right? I, I see the tithe come and I'm like, these guys know what first is all about. The firstness of God. The first check I write will be to the kingdom of God. The first thing I give, the first time I break my salary, the first, first portion I pick out of my salary is going to go to God first. Why? I'm telling you, God. I'm telling you, God, you are first in my life. Your work is first. Your, your people are first. Your purposes come first in my life. Ahead of my needs, ahead of my deeds, ahead of my greeds, you come first in my life. It's about the firstness. Why do we tithe? Because we want to prove to God that he is first. Why the first Sunday of the month? Because right up front, right in the beginning of this month, we're saying, Lord, before this month hits us, we want to we wanna put you first. Number three, write this down. Generosity is the cure for materialism. Generosity is the cure for materialism. There is a lot on this. And again, I will cover a lot of it in the, in the series that we will pick up on finances, on money, and uh, the theology of wealth. But today, generosity is the cure for materialism. Materialism is all about getting. It's all about having, owning, showing. Having, owning, showing. That's materialism. And the currency for materialism to buy is money. And that's the God, small g. That's the God you're going after. In order to be materialistic, you need money. You need cash. Everything is monetized now. Everything is monetized. If you use my song, I want the money for it. If you use my name, if you use my face, if you use my, my, even my handle, if you use me for any purposes to further your, I want the money for it. Everything is monetized. That's a God you're going after, you're depending on. If you're working for it, if you think that's what's going to get you through the hard day, if you think that's what's going to get you through the rainy day, that's your belief, that's your religion, that's your faith, and that's your God. Small g. And here's what Jesus said in red. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, an entire incredible chapter on this passage on this matter he says you cannot serve God and money so in the Bible there are only two gods there's not religions and all of that there's only two gods there's God represented in Jesus Christ and there's money there's God and money there's only two things you can run to for the security of your life for the future of your life for the certainties of your life for the convenience of your life for the comforts of your life there are only two things you can depend upon and you cannot do both Jesus didn't say you should not do both. He says you cannot do both. You will either serve one and hate the other or you love one and serve the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's not possible because they are gods. One big G, one small G. And let me tell you from this pulpit where I promise to tell you the truth. Money makes a very poor God. Emphasis on the word poor and money. Money makes a very poor God. It is deceptive and it is elusive. Money will deceive you. Money will look good when it's not good. It will feel good when it's not true. It will give you a false sense of security. We are worshippers of cash. We love the number of zeros at the end. Even if we invented zero in India and know that it is without value. We love the number of zeros at the end. Don't hear what I'm not saying. 
Remember there's a series coming up. I'm going to teach and talk about how to save, how to invest, how to give. We're going to talk about all of that. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But money makes a very poor God. It is deceptive. It is elusive. The moment you think you grab it, it's gone. And your relationship with money, I hope you're listening, your relationship with money is primarily emotional. Your relationship with money is primarily emotional. It is your emotional connection to money. It is your emotional relationship with money. It is your emotional history with money that gives you the, the value of cash itself. To one person, 500 rupees is a lot of money. And to another person, 500 rupees is an insult. Because it's emotional. You shop based on emotion, not on the price. You shop and you invest based on emotion. You spend based on the emotion connected to the person for whom you're spending, not on the basis of how much money you have. There are days when you have a lack and you only spend 10 rupees because that person is only worth that much. And there's, there are days when you have a thousand rupees in the bank, but you go ahead and spend 5,000 on the credit card because that person is more... What, you, get, you, get, you get what I'm saying? Your relationship with money is primarily emotional. We'll talk about more, more about that in the, in the future. It lures you emotionally. Money doesn't appeal to your account statement. Money doesn't appeal to your bank statement. It doesn't appeal to your current balance in your bank. It has no relationship with actually how much you have. Money appeals to your heart. Money goes straight for your heart. It goes straight for your deepest insecurities. That if I don't spend this, if I don't have this, if I don't look like this, if I don't buy this, if I don't invest, if I don't say yes now, I'm going to look poor, I'm going to look inadequate, I'm going to look unsuccessful, I'm going to look like I haven't made it in life. So you get in debt, and you get in debt, and you get in debt because you want to look good, feel good, act good, and be more accepted in a world that worships, bows before money. It allures you not accountingly, <laughs> accounts, it doesn't allow you by facts and figures, it allows you emotionally. It deceives you, it traps you. It projects a false sense of security. It gives you a thing, oh, as soon as you put it in the bank, it's not your money. It is never your money. And you may never get it back. 75 million people over the lockdown went in below the poverty line. 75 million people dropped before the poverty line. At least they were getting one meal a day. Today they're not even getting one meal a day. Adani is making 1,009 crores. 1,009 crores a day. A day. Money is elusive. Money is cash. Money is printed. Money is not wealth. Did you hear me? Money is not wealth. God loves wealth. God gives wealth. God rewards you with wealth. God has a theology for wealth. But money is not wealth. God uses money. God gives money. God handles money. But God does not worship money. Money has no value for God. Money has no value for God. God has no value for money. 
It projects a false sense of security. And hear, hear, hear this, hear this. It lulls you. It lulls you into a false mode of safety. The more zeros you see, the more numbers you see, you, send, you tend to relax, you tend to settle down. And that's a dangerous place to be if, if your security and if your dependence is on cash, on money. Don't be money-minded. Don't be money-minded. You know, it's not only rich people who are money-minded. Everybody thinks rich people are money-minded. Wealthy people actually don't, are not as money-minded as poor people. Poor people are far more money-minded. Broke people are the most money-minded. Because when you can't breathe, you realize how valuable air is. And when you are walking to Kangal National Bank, then you realize how much you need money. And you begin to evaluate your life based on how much you don't have rather than how much you have. You compare yourself to your friend, to your, uh, to your spouse, to your, uh, to your parents sometimes, to your competitors, based on how much you have and how much you don't have. More how much you don't have. What does money-minded mean? What does it mean to be money-minded? Flat, broke people are more money-minded, mind you. Poor people are more money-minded. People who have little money are more money-minded than people who have a lot of money. Money-minded is when your values listen, values listen, values, decisions, and plans. Money-minded is when your values, decisions, and plans are made or attempted. Your values, decisions, and plans are made or attempted based on how much you have or how much money you don't have. That's why it's very dangerous when a treasurer runs a church. That's why I've spoken up in board meetings and I've even lost ministries because I spoke up against this. When a committee or a treasurer or someone takes over the ministry of the church, then the, the future of the church, the future of ministry, the future of God's work, the future of evangelism, the future of missions is at the, is at the mercy of last week's giving. No, it's not. But this is how much we have. You need to budget within this. No, I don't. I have God. And God is enough. And if God tells me to go, God tells me to grow, he'll feed me as I grow and he'll lead me as I go. God is a God who provides on the spot, on the way. Jesus, is, he told his, his disciples, he says, don't take money with you. He says, you go. He says, you go and as you're going, I will provide. Why does he do that? So that your focus is more on the mandate than the money. It's more on the mandate than the money. Some of you are saying, oh, I can't send you, your child, to this school or that school because I don't have enough money. No, you don't. But that doesn't mean God can't send them to that school. My son was settled to go to Finland. My son was settled to go to a college in Finland, and I could afford that. I could afford it. I could afford the fees, and I could afford the, the airlines, and I could afford the accommodation. So I planned within what I could afford. And my wife will back me up on that's one of the occasions how I felt foolish about how God leads. And God is like, you can afford it, but he's my son too. 
So when we trusted God and I began to spend and I began to invest and I began to book the place and I began to, I, I booked the tickets, I booked the, I booked the rental uh, accommodation, I booked the fees, I gave the fees, I did everything and the entire plan fell through. The entire plan fell through. And my son who had wasted a year waiting for something abroad to show up, it fell through. I'm telling you a testimony from my life. Please don't go and tell everybody Pastor Jerry was showing off. I'm trying to tell you that I believe this principle and it works. So suddenly we waited and finally the letter came from the, from the embassy and he did not get the visa. He did not get the visa to Finland of all the countries in the world to not get a visa. Uh, more humiliating than anything. It's like not getting a visa from Sri, Sri Lanka or something like that. Finland, come on, man. And he didn't get, and he walked in. I was, I was, I was sitting in his room at his desk for some reason. I don't know why I was there. And he walked in with that letter with tears streaming down his face. And this is my son, my only son. And my whole self-worth is wrapped up in what I can get him. And God was about to ruin me. He was about to ruin me. And he came and he says, Dad, I didn't get the visa. And because he didn't get the visa in time, the letter he had in his hand was from the college in Finland saying, you have been dropped from admissions. Feel free to uh, apply next year. So we lost that entire thing. We lost a year. We lost a lot of rupees, rupees, money. We lost a lot of money. We lost a lot of time. We lost a lot of, uh, uh, we were very embarrassed because we had been praying and we got a lot of people praying for this. You know how it is when you get people to pray for a job and you don't get it, pray for a college and you don't get it, pray for an opening and you don't get it. And I stood there and I said the statement that I preached to you last Sunday. Last Sunday I was standing there and I preached the statement to you. I said it to myself, I said it to my son. I looked at his letter, I was crying, he was crying. Mom was standing outside the door and she was crying. And I said to him, I'm just intrigued to see how God is going to top this. We thought Finland was insane. We thought it was an amazing plan. We thought that was God's provision. We thought that was amazing. And God, I, I just want to see how God can top this. A few months later, my friend who works in the United States, he dropped me a prospectus of a college there, a reputed college in the US, which we could never, ever, ever, never, never, ever, ever, never afford. Ever. Did I say never? I want to make a point to you because God is at work in my life and when I preach, I'm not preaching a principle, I'm preaching a practice. And I said, son, this uncle is saying that if you, uh, if you get through the admissions, we could swing some sort of a scholarship. My son doesn't listen to me. He doesn't work with me. He doesn't discuss anything with me. He just went ahead, got in touch, did one interview, another round of interview, the third round of interview, came back to me and said, dad, I've, uh, I've done all the interviews I've cleared. Now I'm waiting for what they have to say. I was on a trip to Moscow. I was, I was teaching at a, at a pastor's conference over there. Three of us got on, on, on Zoom on, from three different countries. And my son read out the admissions letter from Wheaton College in the US saying, and it's not about Wheaton College. It's about there's only one international scholarship, 100% 
full ride scholarship for one student once a year. And it has so many zeros at the end of it in the fees that I would not even be able to finish my story. And I could never have afforded it. And God smiled from heaven and said, who did you say you worship? God or money? Just to prove I'm bigger than your money. And I will always be bigger than your money. And I will always be more than enough for you. Here. Here's some crumbs off the table. This is what I can do in my spare time. And forget about my friend. Forget about the possible part scholarship. He got on a plane with a full ride scholarship. Completely covered for all four years including inflation. My prayer is that you will clap for something God does in your life when you stand up and say, God, I didn't get that job. I'm just wondering how you're going to blow my mind on this. God, I lost my child. I lost my baby in my womb. I don't know how you're going to blow my mind on this. How are you going to make a ministry out of this mess? God, I've screwed up 10 years of my life and I don't know how I could have done that, but I don't know how you're going to make something amazing, beautiful out of this. Lord, I lost what you gave to me. Lord, I've ruined or dishonored your name. How are you going to turn this insane situation around and you're going to make the most of it? God, I'm just waiting to see how you're going to blow my mind. God is in the business of blowing the minds of his children because every father constantly wants to show his kid how, more, how much more generous he can be. Every father wants to do that. Have a child and find out for yourself. And God is your father and God wants you to stop looking at money like as if it's the thing that will get you tomorrow. It's not. God is enough. Don't be money minded. One thing I'll tell you about money from this pulpit. It is never, never, never enough. Money is never, never, ever enough. Are you listening? Enough. The word enough is not a figure. It is, an, it is a conviction, it is a belief. Enough is a belief, it's not a figure. That'll be enough. No, it won't. No, it won't. One meal is not enough for the one under the poverty line. And 1,900 1, crore is not enough for one man. It's never enough. And until you learn that God is enough, you will never be satisfied with what you have. The Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know the sad thing about what's happening right now? Because money is so attached to our emotions, what you're hearing me say is, Pastor Jerry, what you're telling me is like, whatever money I have right now, that's all I will ever have, and you want me to be content with that. I didn't say that. You thought it. I didn't say that. You thought it. I never said you're not going to get more and more money. That you're in, you're, there's not going to be increase. I never said there's not going to be salary increase or bonus increase. I, I never said that God's not going to bless you in material ways. I never said that. You thought that. The moment the Bible says, the moment God says, the moment the conviction uh, sets upon us, be content, you'll be like, that, that's a figure in your head. That's a figure in your head. The moment you say, be content, you say, okay, 10,000 rupees, I must be content with that. I didn't say that. I said, be content. Don't look at the money. 
Stop looking at the money. Stop counting the money. Stop thinking that what can be an outcome of fruit or fruition of your life is going to be based on how much money you can afford or your father can afford or your economy can afford. God is enough. And if you have him, he is enough. You don't know what you're really living for until you break the grip of, uh, of materialism in your life. You don't know. The only antidote to materialism is to break, to pry your hands open and to let go and to give. You give not because there's a need. You give because you want to loosen. You want to give like the reason we give blood. The reason we donate blood is so that fresh blood can be made. You give so that God can give more. So that you're not getting but God is giving through you. You become a conduit of the blessing of God. You give in a way that God gives so that God may give more. So that you give in a way that God gives. So that God can give more. So that you give in a way that God gives which is more. And then God gives more so that you can give more. But the heart must want to give more. The heart doesn't want to give more. But the heart wants more for myself. The heart will stop getting what God is giving. If you think you're a maintenance manager for your life, why should God load you up, charge you up, fill your bank, bless you? God doesn't want to give you money. God wants to give money through you. And when you expand your ability to give, God will give through you. So you will be a person who gave more money than a person who ever had more money to give. The only antidote to materialism is giving. Generosity. Write down a fourth one as we close. Generosity multiplies my money. Real quick. This is not going to take too long. God has worked out in the universe a way. If you give 10%, he elasticizes your 90%. God is saying, I can do more with your 10% than you can do with your 90%. God says, I will make your 90% last more than 100% if you give your 10%. And I can make your 10% last 100% if you give me your 10%. Does that make sense? God does magic with money. God has worked out in the universe such a way that when I give 10% of my income, and that's called tithing, one-tenth, that he makes the 90% go further, go farther than if I had even 100% of my own. Sometimes my 100% is not enough, but when I've given my tithe, you're not listening, you're not listening. When I give my tithe, my 90% will always be more than my 100%. That's bad maths, but it works in the economy of heaven. Why? Why, was, why should God do that? Because you tested him. You put him on the spot. You, you put his glory at stake. You said, God, if you're saying me to tell me to do this, I'll do it. But then it's your responsibility now to give me back my 100%. A generous man will prosper. Focus on the word. The generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. You will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. I close with this. This is the theology of wealth. This is the theology of wealth. And you must have a theology of wealth because money can become a God. If it already hasn't become a God. And it's more a God to people who don't have money. This is the theology of wealth. Number one, you always have all of God. You always have all of God and he is enough. 
You never need to increase God. You never need to multiply God. When you get God, you get all of him and he is enough. Listening? God gives you wealth. This is not in your notes. This is from my heart to yours. God gives you wealth to give to others. And he gives you more when you want to give more. Not when you have to give more, but when you want to give more. When you want more for yourself, it will never be enough. When you want more to give, you will always have enough. He guarantees that. He guarantees that. Bigger than the World Bank, he guarantees. If you want enough for yourself, it will never be enough. If you want more to give others, he will back you up like a big eager investor. So tell your hands, tell your hands to be generous, to hold loosely to that which you have to let go anyway. Tell your God daily that he is your wealth. And tell your emotions who rules your heart. Tell your emotions who rules your heart. I I'll repeat that. Number one, tell your hands to be generous. Tell your God daily that he is your wealth. He is your exceedingly great reward. That he is enough. And tell your emotions who rules your heart. Does God rule your heart or does money rule your heart? Money is emotional. God is spiritual. Spirit is greater than emotions. Emotions go high and low. But by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit, says the Lord. With every heart closed and every eye, just take a closed and every heart bowed, just take a moment. Just take a moment saying, Lord, I didn't like this sermon. I didn't like a lot of it, what this guy said. But I need to take something. What do you want me to take? What do you want me to, to work on? What do you want me to respond to? I'm Jeremy Dawson and if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below, but let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.